Well, good morning, church family. Good to be with you today. My name's Nate. Want to welcome you if it's your first time or joining online. And like if uh, Jim said at the beginning, if you weren't here, this is our baptism weekend. And this weekend, we are celebrating 28 people who have signed up to give their life to the Lord. And it has been... I heard this phrase a long time ago that I love. Every number has a name. And it's not just about numbers, it is about stories of life. Matter of fact, one of the baptisms we did last, after last service uh, was a teenage son who's been bringing his parents to church. And then he got baptized with them. And it was just this beautiful moment of God is working through teenagers. Uh, last night after a service, we saw a grandma baptize her daughter and her granddaughter. And you just saw this three generations coming together and working together. And this is, the, this is the cool thing about Jesus is when you step into his story, he's got bigger plans for you than you have for yourself. And he's inviting us into that. That's why we're doing the series called Dear Church. If you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, we've been walking through Revelation chapter two and three, where Jesus writes seven letters to the church. And uh, he writes it through the power of the Holy Spirit and he gives the words to the apostle John to give to the church because the good news of Jesus is this. He's saying, I'm still speaking. You know, sometimes we look at the, the Bible and we go, well, when they, when they put the Bible together, Jesus was done speaking and now being a Christian, it's just up to how good you and I can be. When actually what we find is this, Jesus is still speaking to his church today. The question is, are we listening to him? At the beginning of this series, we had a goal, not just for this series, but we said, God, we want this to be our heart for 2022. And uh, this is what our heart is this year. It's simply this phrase that you and I would be discipled by Jesus himself, that you and I would have this personal relationship with him, that through the power of his spirit, his presence in us, we would listen and we wouldn't just listen, we would follow and we would do what he does, because at the end of every letter, Jesus says this phrase, no matter what type of condition the church was in, whether they are in good condition or bad condition, Jesus would finish his letters to all seven churches and would say this, to those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. And so for you and I today, for us, let us hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And what he's going to say today to the church in Laodicea and what he's going to say to you and I is this. He wants his church to be zealous. He wants his church to be full of passion. That's what he's going to call the church in Laodicea. That's one of the marks of being a healthy church is that we are passionate people about Jesus that we live with his heart, that we live with his hope. Now, I know a bunch of you introverts in this room just went, oh, no, right? Oh, no, he's going to make me stand on a street corner with a bullhorn yelling at people, right? No, that's not what Jesus is going to ask you and I to do. What he's going to ask you and I to do is to live life with him and allow his love to change us. Some of the times, maybe we've heard this phrase before. When somebody became a follower of Jesus, they said this, man, they are on fire, for Jesus. They're on fire. And really what that phrase is this, is that they're zealous, that they're passionate about the ways of Jesus. And that's what he writes to remind and encourage Laodicea, because what happened is this, they've lost their zeal, lost their passion. They've lost the reason why they are the church. And Jesus writes to them and goes, I want you to remember why I created the church. I want you to live a vibrant, full life with me. 
And what I wanna do here in a second is we're gonna read the letter out loud. I'm gonna read it out loud for us. And every week we've just done this, you guys have gone along great with me on this, is we've just stood up just to be able to say, God, our full attention, we wanna hear what you have to say today. So for the last time in the series, if you would, once you stand up with me, if you're watching online and you're at a coffee shop, go ahead and stand up, right? You'll be super weird and awkward, but God's gonna do a great work. Don't worry, all right? And here's what the letter Jesus says to the, to the church in Laodicea. Listen to what he writes. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, he says, write these. These are the words of the amen. That word means true. Jesus says, I'm true. I'm the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's who Jesus is. And he tells the church in Laodicea, he goes, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Welcome to church, right? You know, it's like, whoa, Jesus. Now here's the thing, we gotta pay attention to this. Jesus isn't saying to the culture, culture, you're nasty and sinful. I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth. Who's he saying it to? The church, the church. It's easy for us just to criticize culture. Jesus says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, church, because here's why. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes. It was this ointment that Laodicea had created to bring healing so that you could have salve to put on your eyes so that you can actually see what Jesus has for you. And to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest, and that word means zealous. Be earnest and repent, because here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame, Jesus said, that was through the cross and the grave, and sat down with my Father on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You guys can have a seat. Boy, I hope we're listening today to what Jesus is saying to his church and what he's saying to you and I. And here's the question we gotta ask ourselves if we're gonna be honest, is this, what would make Jesus puke? Right, you know, I mean, literally think about this. Now, when I'm reading this, I went back, I used to be a youth minister. I went back into junior high mode, right, when I'm reading this. And, and here's what Jesus says, though. He goes, hey, listen, church, you're not hot nor cold, and I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth, which the question is, what makes Jesus puke about the church? What makes him sick to his stomach? And here's what it is. Here's the big idea I want us to get down. Here's what's happening in the church in Laodicea. If you notice, he didn't, he started, he goes, I know your deeds. And he didn't start like the rest of the churches goes, I know your deeds and you do food pantry and you do this and you do serve days and you do these things. He didn't even listen to anything. All he says is this, you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm, I'm about ready to spit you out. Here's what he's saying. If you're, right, if you're taking notes, you won't write this down. Here's what's happened. The Christians in Laodicea made a decision for Jesus, but they didn't become a disciple of Jesus. See, there's a difference between just making a decision for Jesus and actually becoming a disciple of Jesus. We know it's baptism weekend, but here's the thing about baptism weekend. It's not just will you make a decision, it's will you become a disciple. 
See, when you get baptized, what happens is even symbolically, you come in one side of the baptistry. And here's the thing. After you get baptized, you don't go back. It's a symbolic way that says this. Jesus, I'm not going back the way I came in. I am going a new way. I'm following you. And baptism is this whole way of celebration of saying, God, my life is buried with you. I'm dying to myself. I'm buried with Christ and I'm being raised new in your spirit, in your power, going your direction. I found this interesting this week as I was just studying a little bit more about it. I came across a great article just about the difference between having a decision and being a disciple. And I found this interesting. In the New Testament, the word disciple shows up 270 times, 270 times. And the word disciple just means this, learner. You and I would be learners of Jesus. We know we're not perfect. We know Jesus is the only one that's perfect, but he's going, I want you to become a learner of me. And in the New Testament, 270 times, it says the word disciple. Guess how many times in the New Testament it has the word Christian? Three. Could it be we've settled for a title, but we've never become a disciple? See, this is what Jesus is saying to his church. He goes, I don't want you just to make a decision one time. I want you to begin to step into all that I have. This is why he says, he goes, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot and I wish you were one. Now here's the thing, we, when we read scripture, we gotta read with first century lens because in Laodicea where it was placed, there six miles down the road in Heropolis, there was a hot spring. You can still go visit the hot spring today. It's still working. And what happens is there was an aqueduct six miles away from Laodicea that they would get water from the hot spring and it would come down to them. The only problem is this, by the time the hot spring traveled six miles, guess what the water was like? Not hot. And here's what they're doing. They're going, great, this hot spring is coming. And by the time it got to them, what happened was this, it traveled over the aqueduct, it slowed down, and you ever been by a pond that's just like sat and it's just nasty, right? There's no water flow. There's no fresh water. And this is why he's saying hot or cold because six miles down the road, here comes this hot spring. Well, down the road, the other way was Colossae and they had cold water and they would bring cold water to Laodicea. The only problem was this, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And what he was saying is this, church, Laodicea, your job, your calling, your calling and my calling as the church is this, it is to bring relief and replenishment to the world. Think about what hot water does for you and I. This morning when I woke up, I get God's word. And then what do we do after that? You make coffee, right? There's something about it, right? I think it's like the stepchild of the Trinity, right? It's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and coffee, right? You know, it's out there, whatever. And there's something that happens, man. When you sit down with a hot cup of coffee, man, it brings relief. For some of you teenagers, kiddos in here, maybe you remember as a kid, you go out and you play in the snow. And then when you come back in from the snow, what do you make? Hot chocolate, man, right? There's something about hot chocolate. After you've been out in the cold, it warms you up. It brings relief to you. If you're sick, you make hot tea. There's something good that comes into your life when you have this replenishment. This is what Jesus is telling the church in Laodicea. He goes, you know what those hot springs are for? They are to bring replenishment. And then this is what we know about cold, refreshing water. It brings great relief to us on a hot day. And what he's saying is, church, 
You're not bringing relief nor replenishment to the world. All you're bringing is nasty water to the world. Literally, I don't know if you've like ever had a Polar Pop or a McDonald's cup that you had like Coke in it or whatever. And a couple hours later, you go to take a drink and there's a little bit of Coke left and a little bit of ice left in there. And when you go to take a drink, you're like, mm, what is that, right? Because you're like, that ain't Coke and that ain't water. And you go, that's just nasty, right? And what do you do? You spit it out. You throw it away. And Jesus is saying, church, Laodicea, you've lost the calling of the church. Craig Rochelle, a great pastor, had a book that came out a couple years ago that caught my attention. The title of his book was this, Christian Atheist. Christian Atheist. And this is the, the hook of it. This was the title of the book. Believing in God, but acting as if he doesn't exist. It's Christian Atheist. Believing in him, but acting like he doesn't exist. The problem with the church in Laodicea was this. They were focused more on making themselves than having Jesus make them. Way more focused on making themselves. What I found out more as I researched Laodicea was this. Laodicea was a really rich area. Incredible wealth. Even the Christians that were becoming Christians had great wealth in that place. The only problem was this. They had great wealth, and the whole connection of Laodicea was this. They were one of the world's leading distributor of black wool. So everybody wanted their clothes, so they've got cash, they've got clothes, and then they were the inventor of this salve that would bring healing eye ointment, and people bought that from all over the world. So they had world influence, they had cash, they had clothes, they had connections. The only problem was this, they forgot Christ. And too oftentimes, this is what can happen for us, we can begin to pursue all these things and forget Jesus. What happened in Laodicea was this. Their possessions began to possess them. Began to drive all of their identity and focus and direction. And there is a big difference between physical unawareness and spiritual unawareness, isn't there? Here's the problem with the church in Laodicea. They were totally unaware that they had lost their way. And Jesus shows up, he's like, I'm gonna call you back to it. And here's the thing, here's the difference between physical unawareness and spiritual unawareness. Physical unawareness is pretty funny. I, I don't know about you, I, I, I love watching Sunday nights with my kids, America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Just simply, you know, I just wanna confess, I love to see people fall down or get hit in the head, right? I, I just love it, man. I know, like, good, I'm glad, I feel like I'm not alone. I, I, I love it, right? Because I'm physical unawareness. As a matter of fact, my favorite story in my life of somebody who was totally unaware uh, was my seventh grade baseball coach. And uh, I remember one time he was so unaware, uh, we were taking, practice was at the batting cage. And uh, you would rent like the batting cage out for like a half an hour, hour, and guys would just go in and you would just take cuts and you'd get work in. He would coach you up. And I remember it was my time. We were working on hitting the ball to the opposite field in seventh grade. And I was just terrible at it. I couldn't do it. I just pulled the ball every time. I remember I was in there and he's like, hit it the other way. Hit it the other way. I'm like, I'm trying, coach. Like, like, I'm not purposely hitting it the wrong way. Could never do it. And I remember after one round of the pitching machine, you would just turn over and you would hit the button again and another round would happen. I remember I went through one round and I turned over and I hit the button again to start the second round. Hit the button, go to dig in, and he comes in, he goes, give me the bat, I'll show you how to do it. He didn't realize at the time that I'd already hit the button. Walks into the batting cage, you see where this is going, right? And I'm like, coach, coach, he's like, give me the bat. He's standing here just like this, standing right here, pitching machines coming this day. You gotta, 
at that moment, 70 mile an hour ball, right to the kneecap, dropped him like a fly in the batting cage. I didn't help him up. And uh, no, 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 it's just one of those moments, man. I just, I, we were just kind of, whoa, bug-eyed. And here was the thing. He walked into this moment totally unaware. And we sat there and we kind of laughed. He was okay. He crawled out of the batting cage a little bit, you know. And I'm telling you, when people are physically unaware in those types of moments, it's funny. It's fu- it really is kind of funny. You can laugh at that, man, right? You know, like, come on. But here's the thing. But people who are spiritually unaware, it's not funny at all, is it? And when we watch people make bad decision after bad decision, and not just, not just people who don't know Jesus, but man, when we watch the church make bad decision after bad decision, people get hurt, don't they? And they get hurt. And this is what's happening in Laodicea. The church is making poor decisions and and the church is totally unaware spiritually what's going on. And, and here's the thing about Jesus. The way that Jesus worked, he, would, he wrote this letter to Laodicea. And we're going to look at that. He wrote to him to, because he loves him. He's like, hey, I'm going to call this out in you. But I love you and, and I want you to step into this with me. And, and one of the most important scenes in scripture that we see is in Mark chapter 10, where you see the love of Jesus. Jesus was always calling people, specifically religious people, who were still spiritually unaware, back to a relationship with their father. In Mark chapter 10, maybe you've heard of this passage where Jesus gets approached by the rich young ruler. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, this is how it starts. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see that passage there? Somebody making themselves. What must I do to inherit this? This man is used to just making himself instead of having God make him. And Jesus goes, well, you know, it's good religious Jewish man. He says, you know, the big 10, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet. Remember the Sabbath, no idols, no other gods. You, you know the 10. And the man goes, oh yeah, I've done all of those since I was a boy. And Jesus is like, oh, you're so unaware. Verse 21, I love this about Jesus. He sees you and I in our spiritual unawareness and look at his attitude. I love that Mark records this in verse 21. It said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Just let that hang there for a moment. Jesus is about ready to call this rich young ruler back into a relationship with his father. But he looks at him and he loves him. There's a myth out there that says this, I can either tell you the truth or be your friend, but I can't be both. And Jesus says, no, I actually wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts, but we need to hear it. Jesus looks at this man, loves him, It says, one thing, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Come and be a disciple. Don't just make a decision. 
Come make a, be a disciple. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a couple of things I want to clarify in this passage. Sometimes it's been misinterpreted where people say this, unless you go and sell everything, you're not a follower of Jesus yet. That's not what this passage is saying. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this, that you would begin to trust Jesus more than anything else in your life. See, that rich young ruler had done a lot of good religious things. The only thing was this, he was trusting more in his riches than he was in the richness of Christ. Church in Laodicea, they're trusting more in their cash, in their clothes, and in their connections than they are with Jesus. Now, here's the thing for all of us in this room. This is just a guess, but I'm going to guess all of us are in this place because uh, this was me this morning. When you walk in this morning or when somebody introduces you, uh, typically, I've, actually, I've never heard anybody say this before. When, when, when you introduce yourself to somebody, hi, I'm so-and-so, we say, typically, we go, well, where do you work? Here's where I work. And then typically, I've never heard anybody say this before. Hi, I'm so-and-so, I work here, da-da-da-da, I'm rich. You ever heard anybody say that before? I've never heard anybody say it, right? Because most of the time, this is our thought. None of us think we're rich because we immediately say this, I'm not Elon Musk. I ain't Elon Musk, right? One of the stats I came across this week, it humbled me. If you make $34,000 at your job, you are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. $34,000, top 1%. Boy, it's humbling when I hear that stat, and not only that stat, it's humbling when we watch constantly on the news what's happening in Ukraine right now. And what happens is this, in this moment, I don't know about you, but man, I have been convicted of some of the things that I'm finding myself over-trusting in in this season compared to the goodness and the grace of Jesus. See, this is why he's calling his church Laodicea. He's going, don't trust the cash, don't trust your clothes, don't trust the eye ointment, all this other stuff. Let's work, let's be good stewards. But here's the thing, trust in me more than anything else. He's going, I want you to be a zealous disciple. And if you and I are gonna be a zealous disciple, what does that look like? I don't want that just to be church language. What does it really mean to be a zealous disciple of Jesus? This is, this is what we find Jesus calling the church in Laodicea to, and he calls you and I to this. First thing is this, a disciple confesses their need for Jesus. A disciple confesses their need for Jesus, not just one time, but over and over again. Jesus, in this season, I need you. To Jesus, get through this season, I need you. In this relationship, in this moment, in this conversation, Jesus, I need you. This is what Jesus tells Laodicea. He calls them out, and he calls them out, and then he says this in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich in white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and have salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Some of us, we believe stuff like this. We go, Nate, if I trust Jesus, what am I going to get out of the deal? Jesus says this, I'm going to make you rich. Some of you are like, I'd like to come forward right now, right? I'd like to give my life to the Lord. Now, here's the deal. When Jesus says you're going to become rich, it's not like what we think. That's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is this. Give your life to Jesus. You're going to wake up tomorrow. There's going to be an extra zero in your bank account. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. But when Jesus says, 
I counsel you, I call you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. What he's saying is this, I counsel you to come after me more than anything else and you will become rich. And you know how he's going to make us rich? Here's what he's going to make us rich in. He's going to make us rich in what money can't buy. What can't money buy? It's found in Galatians 5. You know what Galatians 5 says? Here's what money can't buy. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. And what's that last one? Self-control. Isn't it funny? Money makes us lose control, right? And Jesus says, I want to make you rich in what money can never give you. Man, I want to make you rich in love. I want to make you rich in kindness. I want to make you rich in peace. I want to make you rich in self-control. And not only that, he says this, I want to cover you in white clothes. Now, here's the deal. He's talking about white clothes because they were known for this black wool. And what he's saying is this. Oftentimes, he said, here's what you're doing. You're putting on your success as your identity. And oftentimes, that's leading you down the wrong road. And what I want to do is this. I want to clothe you with what you don't have. You know why I don't buy white clothes? It's a real simple answer. You know why? I'm going to spill ketchup on it my first meal. I just know it, right? First bite of hamburger, bam, right? I know it's going to fall out. It's going to be a disaster. So I go, just don't even buy them, right? Don't even buy it. And Jesus says this, Laodicea, I want to cover you and what you would never cover yourself in. For a lot of you here today, you don't even have grace for yourself. And because you don't have grace for yourself, you would never believe that Jesus would actually have grace for you. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy buy gold from me refined in the fire because I want to make you rich in love and mercy. Not only that, I want to cover your shame. The areas where you feel embarrassed, areas that you don't want anybody to know, you hate telling people, all that stuff. He goes, I want to cover that shameful nakedness that you're so embarrassed of. And then he says this, and I want you to begin to see what God has for you. You guys are selling this eye ointment. I know, man, that's great. Start a good business, but don't let your business be your identity. I want to put ointment on you by the power of the spirit that allows you to see what God has for you, to allow you to see the plans that God has for you, allow you to step into the sea. This is what happens when you and I confess Jesus. A lot of us, we go, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I want to keep control. And Jesus says, I have so much more for you than you even think about for yourself. But here's the thing. Not only do we confess our need for Jesus, a disciple is changed by the love of Jesus. We're changed by the love of Jesus that he would see us in our brokenness and help and walk along. This is what it says right after that in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. That's the word zealous. So be earnest and repent. Now, I want to stop here real quick. It says, those whom I love. And sometimes, actually, there's three different meanings, three different words for love in the New Testament. A lot of times we think it just means agape, just to to love without ending, right? Actually, this word love that Jesus uses here with Laodicea, it's the word phileo, which is where we get the city of Philadelphia. And the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of what? Brotherly love. Jesus says, church... I love you like an older brother. 
Do you know that Jesus isn't just our savior? He's not just our king. He's our older brother. And he says, I love you because I'm your older brother. Now here's the deal. What's the role of an older brother to his siblings? What's the older brother supposed to do? You're supposed to pick on your your brother and sister. No, you're not, right? You know, you're like, you know, that's something you're like, well, I'm really good at that. No, you know what the role of an older brother is to do? Here's what the role of an older brother is to do. It's not to pick on their brother and sister. The role of an older brother is to protect. It's to protect. I love hearing when there's kind of some squabbles around when an older brother will say this type of phrase. If you want to get to him, you got to do what? You got to go through me which then the rest of us stand behind our older brother and we're like, that's right, right? You gotta go through Jesus to get to me, right? You know, right? And we're like, maybe don't talk trash right now, right? You know, maybe back that down a bit. But I love this about Jesus. He says this, right after that, he goes, listen, those whom I love like an older brother, he says, I rebuke and I discipline. I speak truth to you and I speak the truth to you, Laodicea, because I love you, Jesus says. See, when Jesus speaks truth to us, sometimes it hurts, but it's always for our healing. It's always for our good. And then he says this, so be earnest, so be zealous and repent. That word zealous, this is what it means. Literally the word, I'd never studied this word before. This means this, to boil. Jesus says this, I want my love to come in and begin to heat up your heart. See, it's not, will you and I take a five-hour energy drink and go, Jesus, let's do this. It's not what he's asking. You know what Jesus is asking us to do? Some of you, you'll cook this afternoon at home and you'll put maybe a, a big, on the stove, you'll put a pot and you're gonna fix spaghetti or whatever and you turn that temperature up and what will happen over time with that water? Begin to boil. You know how water boils? It's got to sit in the heat. It's got to allow the heat to come in and change it. This is what Jesus is saying to the church. You know how you changed? You sit in my love and allow my love to change the brokenness of your heart. And then he says, repent. There's an order. When you experience the love of God, that's when you begin to turn your life around. I love Romans chapter two, verse eight. It says this about God. It says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It doesn't say when you repent and only when you repent will God be kind to you. It says God has been kind and because he's been kind, we repent. Now here's the deal with that word repentance. We don't walk around really saying that. It's kind of a churchy word. We don't know what that means. But last night after service, had a family come up and they go, hey, our son wants to get baptized. And I said, let's get him connected with our children's pastor. Let's have a great conversation. And they were talking about that. And then they looked at me and they said this, not only does he want to get baptized, they said this phrase, And we want to rededicate our lives. See, when Jesus says to the church to repent, they'd already been baptized. What he was calling the church to do is this, rededicate what their life was about. Maybe for some of you, this is the word. It's not rededicate, it's recalibrate. Begin to have your life revolve around Jesus Begin to have all that you are be found in Jesus. Because here's the love of Jesus right after verse 19. It says this in verse 20. Jesus says, here I am. 
Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Now picture this for a second. This, is, this, this blows my mind. Jesus starts the passage saying this, church, you make me sick to my stomach, I wanna spit you out. I, I wanna spit you out, and then he says this. Not only that, he says, you've locked me out of my own church. I'm at the door, I'm knocking, let me in. Imagine that, having church without Jesus. That's weird, right? You know, he goes, you made me sick. You've locked me out. I just want to come in. He says, I'm at the door. Open the door and allow me to come into your life. Allow me. He says this, because I want to come in and I want to eat with you. You know how Jesus reconciled people? You know how he helped Peter after the resurrection, after he denied Jesus and abandoned Jesus? You know what Jesus did? He had breakfast with him. He didn't say, Peter, you need to go to six weeks of counseling, and after that, we'll talk. He said, Peter, sit down and eat. Sit down and eat. Fifteen years ago, this last Wednesday, uh, my wife and I, we stood here and we got married right here 15 years ago. And what was incredible was she came in from these doors over here. And uh, I was standing here, nervous as could be. You know, I'm only 24 years old. I'm like, whew, right? You know, here we go. This is the biggest day, whatever. And uh, we had the song by Coldplay, Kingdom Come, which is a great song. She was going to walk down the aisle too. And, and, and the, the song starts and it says, be still my heart. You know, all this other stuff. It's just great song. And I'm looking over there. Nothing. And I'm like, oh man, it's going to be the grand entrance. She's just kind of letting it breathe for a moment, taking it all in. 10 seconds go by, 15 seconds go by. Nothing. And my boy, she's really milking the moment here, right? Like, okay, okay, I get it. Bride, wedding day. Still looking at those doors over there. Nothing. Literally, the third line of the song in Kingdom Come is this. Let me in, unlock the door. I can't make that up. Here was the thing, the door was locked. The door was locked. They had unlocked these doors, everybody came in. We're all looking and waiting for nothing. I started, I started sweating up here, man. Like, this was the greatest day of my life. And then somebody, it dawned on somebody, they ran, they went, let's open the door. And man, my life changed that moment, that door opened. Jesus says this to the church. Church, I know you messed up. I know you messed up. I know you started chasing cash, and I know you started chasing clothes, and all of your network, and all of your connections, and all these other things. But I'm at the door, and I want back in. See, this is the good news of Jesus today. No matter how far you've run, no matter what you've gone through, even if you're not a believer here today or not, Jesus just simply invites you and I to do this. You ready? Open the doors of our lives. Just open the door. You know what a disciple does? A disciple responds to the invitation of Jesus. That's who a disciple is. Jesus, you calling me to follow you? Okay. 
I'm nervous and I'm scared and I don't think I have what it takes. And he's like, I know, that's why I'm knocking at the door. (laughs) And I went in on what's going on. Big question for you and I today, just to be honest with yourself and to be honest with the Lord is this. What door in your life do you need to open up to Jesus today? You got a marriage that's falling apart? Maybe open that door to the one who can heal it. You find your career is just driving you nuts and you don't know the way forward. God's going, what if you began to open that door to me? For some of you here today, you've never opened the door of your heart and your life to Jesus. And you've spent your whole life trying to make yourself because for whatever reason you thought that was the point of life, that it's only about us making ourselves. But what we found is this, in Jesus, it's him making us, making us into his image, making us into his children, his sons and daughters, making us to be people who bring a living water that bring replenishment and relief into a broken world that is dry and thirsty and longing for resolve and purpose. And he goes, I know that's what I made the church for. But Jesus is saying to the Laodicea, he's saying, church, open the door. Let me in so I can do a new work. He's inviting you and I to do that very thing today. And so I wanna invite you right now, if you would, would you just stand with me? Here in a moment, we're gonna sing. And as we sing, those who have already signed up to be baptized are gonna move towards the stairs. They're gonna go backstage and get ready. We invite you to stick around, celebrate the baptisms if you want. But here in a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. And what I wanna invite you to do right now is in this moment, as we sing, I just want to give you a moment to tell the Lord where you need to open your heart to him. He's saying, church, I'm here. I'm not going to force my way in. That's not how I work. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to call you into this relationship with me. Where do you need to open the door today? For some of you here today, if you've never made that decision, we want to invite you to come down to the stairs. You're going, today is that day. I need to get baptized. I need to begin to move towards Jesus today. Let me pray. And we'll open the doors of our hearts and our lives to Jesus he's the only one who can save. So let's pray together right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you would create the church and that Jesus only in and through you that the church would hold together. And Jesus, right now, you know the stories in this room. You know the hearts in this room in the hearts online, just like you knew the hearts and the stories in Laodicea. And Father, I pray by your mercy, by your love, Jesus, you are our big brother. Father, I pray that we would open every area of our hearts and our lives to you, Jesus. Places that we've ignored, the pain that we've stuffed away, the fear that we allow to cripple us. Right now, Jesus, we open it all to you. Father, for those in this room and online, God, who have never 
made a decision to follow you. Lord, I pray for courage today, God, that they would simply respond to your love. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. And everybody said together, amen.